Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Alexis O'Banion. I'm the creative director and technology strategist over at Mingay International Museum. And I'm so excited to be talking to you guys today about something that we've been working on for, it seems like, forever. Um, <laughs> I'm joined today by Raygun. Um, they have been really our partners in building, helping us build out um, all our public-facing aspects of our digital strategy that we've been working on for so many times and or for so many years. And I'd like to give Stacy and Dalton an opportunity to introduce themselves. Thank you. Um, hi everyone. I'm Stacy Edelstein. I'm the co-founder and design director at Raygun. I'm Dalton Rooney. I'm the co-founder and technology director at Raygun. And we are based here in San Diego, so if anyone needs uh, tips on where to go for dinner tonight, please don't hesitate to ask. We will be happy to share with you. Um, but a little bit about Reagan and um, who we are. Um, Dalton and I actually got our start in library and archives um, working at StoryCorps um, back in the day. We were the in-house design and development team there working on the web, uh, website and brand. Um, then about uh, eight years ago, we pivoted to running our own design studio where we're working with museums and cultural institutions and nonprofits through strategy, design, and technology. Um, we got connected with Mingay uh, about almost four years ago, and we've been partnering together ever since to make their digital presence uh, accessible to uh, their audiences. What started with the online collections and then moved into the website redesign this year. Um, so today we wanted to share uh, our journey that we've taken uh, together as partners um, to really bring the museum's website um, online and to connect with as many uh, new audiences, existing audiences as possible, making accessibility at the forefront um, of our work. Um, and it truly has been a journey and as we've discovered, you know, when it comes to designing accessible experiences, um, no aesthetic sacrifices really are required. Um, beauty and accessibility can coexist and are interrelated. And we've discovered that you know, accessibility is just as much an editorial consideration as it is technical. Um, it has as much to do with design and content as it does the technology. Um, and you know, as we found, it's really um, you know, a, study, a study in empathy um, and we hope to share you know, our findings with you today and, and invite that conversation going forward. Um, so I'll hand it over to Alexis to tell us a little bit about Mingay and get us started. So um, Mingay International Museum is located here locally in San Diego in Balboa Park. And we're an institution that champions human creativity by exhibiting folk art, craft, and design. Um, I basically say we get to show all the cool stuff that we have in our collection. Um, and with the goal of inspiring creativity in others. So when I came on board um, to the museum in 2011, shortly thereafter we did uh, a long range plan as museums like to do. What are we gonna be doing for the next 10 years? And part of the, that long range plan was identifying core values or pillars as we like to call them um, that support that plan. And one of them was accessibility. And thinking back at that document, which I laid out in InDesign for like three weeks, um, <laughs> so a lot of the things that I was looking at, you know, if we're truly accessible, we're gonna double our visitors in 10 years and we're gonna blah, 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 blah. And I think back to that now and, and really the ways that we've really been 
kind of hitting that accessibility mark really had nothing to do with anything that we were planning on uh, way back then. Not to say that we weren't successful, but it's just when you're making, um, when you make the decision, this is what our institution values, this is what is gonna be guiding our decisions, it's gonna surprise you how, how you're gonna uh, express that. So one of the ways I like to talk about um, is free resident free resident Tuesday, which if any of you went to Balboa Park on Tuesday, I'm sure you were oddly surprised by how crowded it was, um, because a lot of the institutions um, are free on Tuesdays. So, um, you know, this is kind of um, one of these things that is difficult for um, museums in the park because you know the frontline staff are heavily impacted, you have to check IDs, you have to ask, what's your zip code? What's your mother's maiden name? Like, what da 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 da. And so, in terms of just kind of workshopping from a visitor experience point of view, like, we gotta get better at this Free Tuesday thing. Um, we also were kind of confronted with um, what our community needs. This was, I think we had a conversation early 2016, nothing especially important happened then, but just thinking about, um, the word resident having a different meaning than it did before. It's not who's local and who's a tourist. Um, it had further impl implications, and if we are truly valuing accessibility, shouldn't just it be welcome? Shouldn't we just be welcoming for all? And so we kind of disposed with the resident word and just said, "Hey, it's Tuesday. We're free today." and everyone is welcome, which was great for our frontline staff because you don't have to have volunteers checking IDs and getting in people's business. And you were able to have your frontline staff answering questions, like where's the restroom? Or <laughs> what is a mingi? Or, <laughs> you know, all those things. And that allowed, you know, did we plan for that? four years earlier, like if we're accessible, we're gonna be free to all resident, you know, to everyone on Tuesday. No, but we knew we wanted to be accessible. That was important. So this sort of metaphor, if you will, is gonna guide us through our discussion today. So really, um, accessibility was a core value that our museum um, decided to invest in. And that framework is what we took through the entire website design process. Um, you know, it wasn't really just about code. It was what is accessibility? What does that mean? How can we get into that mindset? Um, and we wanted to share some of that, that framework with you and walk through it um, and hopefully give you some really great takeaways. I just realized we have a fantastic handout that I forgot to, to pass around, which um, we'll, we'll do at some point. It was very rushed. <laughs> Yeah, let's pass it around. We actually did uh, put together a really great handout where we refer to, um, you know, throughout the, the presentation with uh, a bit of a deeper dive into accessibility. But anyway, this framework, uh, I think, can help um, address the stages of our, our work together. Uh, so like we mentioned earlier, accessibility really is a study in empathy. Um, you know, it's not something we wanted to add on after the fact but rather something we wanted to bake into the process um, of really understanding what our users wanted, what are the goals of, uh, of the museum, and how can we make sure accessibility permeated everything we did and will continue to do to make the website um, as open and accessible as possible. And another thing we learned too was that, you know, it's not just a, a one and done. Um, we're, you know, we're excited to share how we're continuing to learn and make incremental improvements to the site um, over time. 
So really getting a handle on um, you know, what our users need, who they are, um, how we can best solve them um, was that start of that, that empathy study. Um, and to us, you know, accessibility, there's, there's a lot of checklists, there's a lot of definitions, there's a lot of acronyms out there. But really, the easiest way that we understood in our minds what accessibility, accessibility was is that it's really about access. You know, we're, we're talking about usability. Um, to make something accessible is to make it usable. Um, and it's to really to design uh, experiences with intention and empathy for those with disabilities as well as those without. And really core to our process too was this belief that making something accessible makes it better for everybody. So, so with that in mind, you know, making something accessible for everybody, sometimes when you think about accessibility, you're thinking about your visitor, right? You're thinking about your customer. You rarely think about um, your friend down the hall that asked you for an image of this object in your collection two weeks ago, and you like haven't edited it in a web-friendly format. You're like, oh, yeah, I need to get that to you. We rarely think about the internal bottlenecks that we have um, because a lot of our institutions, everybody is at capacity. We're all kind of working hard at our jobs. We don't have time to like do our jobs and also think about like, wait, is what is the most accessible way that I can store what I'm doing for everybody else in the institution should they need it at some point in time? No one's thinking that way. So when we embarked on a digital strategy, we just did an audit of how does information move through our museum? What's, you know, what are the biggest pain points? Biggest pain point turns out is access to images that are edited, uh, which <laughs> fell under my uh, responsibility for quite a while, um, and understandable. Like it just wasn't, and you just don't have enough. To, we actually now have a part-time photographer. That's all he does is take uh, photos and edits them. I'm like, how did I ever manage? Um, but thinking about if you if you don't have a good um, if you don't have accessibility internally, public-facing accessibility is never going to be fully attainable. Um, it's really something that we had to take a look at and say, if we want to solve for, you know, having a really beautiful, you know, accessible public-facing uh, digital platform. I'm using all the buzzwords today. <laughs> um, then, you know, we need to be able to have a really beautiful internal facing uh, content platform. And so that's what we were able to do. Uh, we were given a lovely IMLS grant, which if you want to hear about more of that, please ascend, attend the session tomorrow. Um, I think it's like at 10.30. And um, hear more about all the deets. But basically, we used um, three out-of-the-box SaaS products, uh, Slack for internal communication, uh, Google Drive for just like a universally accessible repository of all of our data, and Airtable, which is our workflow and just how we share um, work product with each other. And that is something that took us a while to kind of get situated and kind of like Goldilocks, you know, not too hot, not too cold, just right. You know, it's not about just getting the most powerful piece of software and throwing it at your institution. You'll get cut. <clears throat> <laughs> Finding something that's truly meeting the needs of, the, of your institution and your staff members is really important. 
And then once we kind of had that baseline, we were able to say, okay, what works really well with what we have in place um, when we're looking at designing um, uh, our public-facing platform. So we'll get more into that a little bit later. Yeah, and craft. Yes, craft is the CMS we ended up using. And so once we kind of got aligned in terms of how we work together as an institution, we needed every needed to kind of get on message um, with all the projects that we would have moving forward. So that includes a renovation, a digital our digital strategy, our rebrand. We had a whole bunch of projects somehow all kind of funneling through my department. I'm just <laughs> like realization of that. Um, not the renovation. I'm not responsible for that. <laughs> and so we we um, we. Um, a team of us wrote our creative brief, namely um, my boss, Jessica York, who did some beautiful writing. And in there, we defined, really truly defined our key audiences. Who are we going at? Who are we trying to talk to? What does that mean? Um, you know, what are they thinking? What do they want? What's our objective? We know our mission, we know our vision. Okay, so then let's put that in an actionable like, sentence, like what is our objective? What's the key idea? And then a tone checklist. If we are on brand, on mission, it will sound like this. It will look like this. It'll feel like this. And then we came up with about a dozen proof points. Like, if we're doing this all correctly, these are some things that will stand out. And a couple that really resonated with our project was the museum is going to make opportunities for the community to participate in our content creation. Not just, here's what we did, give us feedback, but kind of, um, asking for input before we move forward with something. And then the next is um, making sure that all the touch points in our and how we engage with our audience is accessible at every point. So it's not, you know, if you really want to know our institution, come to our building, experience an exhibition, also a workshop, also visit our store, also talk to like one of our docents. You don't have to do all that. You can just follow us on Instagram, which I encourage all of you to do. <laughs> and, or you can, you know, read a story on our website or, you know, kind of noodle through our online collections and just kind of go through it. all of those steps. We wanted to make sure that they were accessible. So that means we had to think differently, which, you know, museums are known for that. And not... That was a joke, you guys are supposed to laugh. Um, not think, how many, have you, how many of you have started a project with, I wanna do X and this is the resources that I have, right? You think resources first. Here's the resources I have, so this is what I can do. So we, were, we had to think, what, what does our audience want? How do they wanna engage with us? What, where are they at? And then, okay, this is where they're at, how do we get there? And we had to get that information because we don't have a huge budget for user research, understandably. Um, we did some empathy interviews and they were super lo-fi budget, as in me going to somebody's house and being like, hey, I wanna talk to you about how you spend your free time and how, what influences your decisions. Um, I think I was only able to do five or six and um, all of the information is like on legal sheets in my office. so. I wasn't able to really share out that data, but it informed um, some assumptions that we were making. Like, actually, people who really love our museum don't check, with, check in with us that often. Someone was like, I really love your museum. 
is that exhibition still up? The, 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 the Ackerman exhibition? I'm like, I closed in 2003. <laughs> I was like, no, but you should check out this exhibition that's on view right now. And she's like, oh, I just like, I'm just like, you know, I, I just, it's a hard time. Like, I have a hard time keeping up with you guys. So knowing that already, that the, the, the tools that we have to communicate with our audience don't always reach. So just having to, you know, having something that's accessible was super, super important. Um, and that also informed, in some ways, how we decided to transform our spaces. Um, this is a rendering of our plaza level. And um, I kind of want to get up and start pointing at stuff, but I won't. So we... Typically, if you look at the very bottom, you'll see there's like one, two, three, four, five, six entrances to this space. And um, there's also another one on the back. Um, and that is up, we're, we're up like five entrances from the one that we had that also, like in front of our door was like also the back wall of an elevator. So it was like, come in if you want to. Um, and now we're just opening up and just really making that whole first level free so you can kind of stumble in and like um, just kind of walk in and browse and you're not asked to pay or not asked to like make any decisions. I like to call this the floor of yes, like just do whatever you want. Um, and that also like that kind of thinking also informed, you know, the digital transformation that we'd have to have because when we embarked on this renovation, we knew we were going to be closed for at least a year and our website was not able to handle that kind of engagement. So we knew we needed to like get it together. So that included a look at our brands, look at our user experience, and just change some stuff. <laughs> just like that. Just like we needed to like get it together. Uh, this is our this was our our, our logo before our rebrand, and I like to say that this logo um, just is uh, an expression of all the insecurities our, of our museum. No one knows how to say our name, so let's make it super big, <laughs> which made everyone not know how to say our name even more. Um, you know, like international doesn't really fit in our museum. It makes it sound like an airport, so let's make it illegible. Also, we're a museum, so <laughs> this is also, there it is, there it is. So that's <laughs> what we got. Um, and that's again, just solving for, <laughs> solving for problems that really aren't problems, right? Um, and so this I had to work with for about five to seven years, seven years. And I had to do math in my head real fast. Um, and the, when I had the opportunity to redesign, to, to go through a rebrand, I was like, the first thing I want to address is typography. I want people to be able to read our museum's name completely. So we worked with this um, type designer. His name is Yomar Augusto. He's great. He has crazy hair. He's awesome. <laughs> and he developed this monotype typeface, which you know feels... It, very handcrafted. I could do a whole hour presentation on how this typeface came to be. Come find me. I will tell you all about it. Um, but just the, the fact that this is like a custom typeface that only we have, just typing the name of the museum is enough of a brand expression that we don't need like a logo logo. I mean, we have one, but we don't need one. I can just type Minga International Museum on a piece of paper in this typeface, and I feel like that's branded. Now, that could be because I'm lazy or I'm genius. So, 
<laughs> so if you look at the next slide, this is sort of like, you know, our museum name. And we have different variations. We have like this really fun responsive shape that it pairs with sometimes. You can align it to the left, you can align it to the right, you can align it to the center, you can make a circle with it. Um, all of these uh, explorations TBD. Um, but just looking at it compared side by side with our previous logo, it's just so much more legible. I'm dyslexic and I just, I can like breathe when I see this. So this was something that I was just really, really happy about, really, really excited about, and then was like, okay, so what's the rest of the brand? And we're not gonna get into it, but one of the things that was um, really, wow, on that screen, it does not look accurate. That is brown. <laughs> so read the text, not the circles. <laughs> uh, so what we decided to do is and just make a really subtle change. Instead of doing black and white, let's do really, really deep indigo so it kind of looks black, and a really, really off-white kind of, um, we have a lot of textiles in our collection, so we have um, these really cool muslin ribbons that I'm obsessed with, so I call it the color muslin because I'm clever. And uh, so, we, so we did, um, so that kind of replaced our black and white, and then we pair it with a high contrast color um, that really kind of pops. And I like to keep our color palette responsive, to because we have all kinds of different objects in our collection. Depending on the context, it can be weird if it's paired with a hot pink or a yellow or, or whatever. So I like to keep that kind of a flex color. But the orange and the off-white and the... <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> the, show you yeah, the indigo um, really is sort of just with that subtlety with our tight face is really a strong expression of our brand. So I sent all this stuff to Stacy and I was like, Ty Ty, you do the website now. <laughs> but we got together. Yeah, no, no. All right, my turn. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, throughout this whole process of, of you know, empathy interviews, um, content planning, uh, brand redesign, uh, and really this examination of, like, who are we as an organization, uh, we were involved throughout that whole process as the digital partner because we wanted to make sure that the values that were being discussed from the very beginning um, and the choices that were being made in type and color were all um, something that we used to inform uh, the website design. Um, the website, you know, should be an, a really the expression of the brand. It should be um, the defining, you know, platform for, for who the brand is, what it stands for. So it was really important that we were involved in those conversations, you know, and, and providing feedback um, all throughout the process, which was really fantastic. Um, here's just a quick peek at some of the like crazy sketches we were doing in some of our um, content strategy and information architecture phase. Um, you know, we didn't even really do high fidelity wireframes. We sat in a room together for hours and did paper sketches all over the walls. We put up big post-it notes and said, you know, who, based on the research that we've done, based on those empathy interviews we talked about earlier, um, based on the strategic vision of the organization, how can we organize content um, according to our user needs in a way that they're really going to understand um, and be able to find the information that they need? So at some point, this made sense to us. Honestly, looking at it again, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Um, so then, you know, with, um, with those wireframes kind of in place um, and uh, the type and colors and, and that brand really formed, um, 
one day we made this. So this is the new um, homepage of uh, Minge.org um, that we really were proud of because since we had done all that work, diving into the brand and what our users needed, we, you know, we had talked extensively about type and color. This came together in a really organic, um, beautiful way. Um, you know, again, we wanted to make sure that content organization um, was really easy for, for people to find what they needed, um, focusing on, um, you know, six top-level navigation items um, really helps people to quickly scan the information um, and, and dive into where they're most interested. Um, yeah, I just wanted yeah. to say something on that. And that's really another example of how we're thinking user first or customer first or visitor first is just what is the high level things that you want to do if you come to our website. You probably want to come visit us. You want to know what's going on. You want to see the art we collect. And then, you know, sort of like a bonus link that we're like, hey, you need to see this. Versus, I don't know if um, you've ever experienced this where every department kind of wants their button on the navigation. <laughs> and you're like, listen. <laughs> That's what you want, but does the, like why like why would they need to know like about archives right now on the homepage? Like, can we like ease them into that? Like, lead them there versus like you know in terms of top level? Because once you get too many things up there, like it's just like they see nothing. They're just like, where are your where's your phone number? Where are your hours? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think also um, one of the things that that we've gotten really good feedback on is the hierarchy of links also in the, the top navigation. Um, our four sort of big main landing pages are a lot larger and then membership and donate um, over there on the right, uh, a little bit smaller in all caps. Um, all of this using um, Minge Mono as a web font. Um, so it just created a little bit of hierarchy of, of information. We also didn't hide the, the main homepage information behind um, a carousel, you know, a slider. Um, according to a lot of user research, um, you know, carousels only have the highest click-through rate on the first slide. So slides two, three, four barely get any clicks compared to the first slide. So you're spending time creating content that people aren't really engaging with. So rather, we, we decided to focus on um, pulling out these really beautiful collection objects, um, highlighting really key uh, important information that people could click on, signifying links with some um, icons there. And then each time you refresh the homepage, a new, um, a new collection object pops up. So there is a little bit of, um, you know, some fresh content there, but um, some, uh, kind of, you know, just really easy to, to, to navigate. Uh, so again, navigation, content organization, color contrast and combination, just a little bit of checklist items. Um, we've also included uh, a lot of this information on your handout too, so you can kind of use it as a checklist when evaluating um, design work. Um, and one of the, um, the really great uh, interpretations of accessibility is this idea of creating context, um, context for your content. And the way we did that, one of our favorite uh, sections on the site is stories. So it's sort of a reimagined um, blog post where um, the museum's writing uh, longer form narratives and interviews with um, current working artists that the museum is trying to promote and support. Um, so there's um, beautiful photo essays, videos, uh, or not videos now. Soon. Soon, TBD. But there's capabilities to post that if they wanted. Um, so it was just a really great way to showcase the museum's mission and work in a way that's really relatable 
um, and, and relevant for, for everyday people. Um, on the back end here, um, this is a quick view of Craft CMS on the back end with this story. Um, the great thing about Craft is that it's highly customizable, um, and this is actually a, a shot of the um, live preview feature. So on the left-hand side, um, that's the content editor. Um, and then the right-hand side, you can see the content changes happening in real time. Um, so it's just a really great way to create these um, really beautiful layouts um, very quickly. Um, the content blocks are stackable and movable, so um, the museum has the ability to create um, photo grids, pull quotes, banner photos, um, all style to match their brand, but infinitely customizable and flexible. You can reorder them in any order. Um, and then you'll also notice the photos that were uploaded on the left are all different sort of proportions, but when they're displayed on the site on the right, they're cropped by the CMS automatically um, to fit the particular proportions and design styles that we set out um, earlier on. So, um, you know, in terms of accessibility, it's just really great for the staff to update and, you know, create these stories without um, any need to, you know, write code. Yeah, just to hit on that internal accessibility as well, it's really easy to onboard people to the CMS. I, I would say it's just as powerful as some other um, CMSs out there that aren't very user friendly. Like you have to be, a you don't have to be a developer to use the CMS. You do have to be a developer to set it up, I think. Yes. But uh, <laughs> Get it's yourself a good developer. <laughs> yes. Plug, plug, plug. Yeah. Um, and I think too, you know, in terms of um, breaking up that content and blocks is so helpful because. Um, in terms of accessibility, you don't want to just get like give a, your your visitors just a big wall of text to look at. You know, as someone who's dyslexic, I see that and just like my eyes cross and I'm just like, nope, I'm next. Like too long, didn't read for reals. But this helps us to a you know mix up the content a bit, pull out some quotes that we think will help people dive into that long form reading and do spend some time on it, and then hopefully encourage them to like keep browsing through the site. And then, of course, one of the major pillars of accessibility is um, responsive web design. So the site um, you know, is able to scale down to fit any size screen or browser that the visitor is using. Um, and that's something we're going to uh, talk about a little bit more in a minute. Um, but it was really important that um, no matter what was available on desktop is also available on mobile. And one of the ways we also um, wanted to ensure the mobile experience was um, as uh, as accessible and operable as possible was we made sure that with things like images, um, the mobile site isn't, or you know, when you're at, rather when you're accessing the site on mobile, you're not loading the same um, large images that you would on desktop. We made sure that um, the site was loading um, more optimized assets for mobile, making the performance a lot faster, um, which is um, you know really is important to the user experience. Um, and then lastly, this is one of my favorite features on the homepage. Alexis wrote this clearly. Do you have any thoughts or feelings you'd like to share about our new website? We want to hear from you. So Alexis gave herself a direct link to website visitors to be able to get in touch and really share, you know, what, what's working for you, what's not, and, you know, give opinions. So um, since I've been with the museum, we've gone through, I want to say, four different iterations of our website. And every single time we've done an iteration or, you know, kind of redesign or re refresh, um, they, they found me somehow. 
and they're like, here's what I hate about your website. <laughs> and, you know, I used to take it personally, and I'd just be like, it's so easy, just, like, click, and then, like, go here, and then, like, you'll see it, and then it's just there. Um, but then I had to really change the way I think, you know, we don't want people to learn how the wonky way we set up our website, calendar, exhibition page, whatever. We want people to get to the information as easily and, um, and, and as quickly as possible in some respects. If someone is, you know, out front and they want to know what your hours are, let, let's not have them dig for that. Um, and so the, I was like, you know what, I want to hear, you know, we don't really have that much funding to, like, do ends and ends and ends of your user testing. So if you have thoughts or opinions, I want to hear from you. Nobody has contacted me yet. So I'm just like, thanks. I mean, we have gotten feedback about the website. So far, so good. But, um, you know, I, it's just one of those things that, you know, so, a lot of times you don't need resources to, to make some of this stuff happen. You just need to be a good listener and really just think and just really be aware of what your your audience wants. Yeah. So again, just a, a quick checklist um, of things we went over. You know, um, providing narrative and context for things like collection objects um, can really help. Um, you know, visitors understand and feel. Um, knowledgeable about who you are and what you do. Uh, headings and subheadings as ways to break up long, um, long pages of text. Um, thinking about your site as a flexible design system rather than just a collection of pages um, is a really great way to um, make sure that everything on the site is, is really well designed and accessible. Uh, consider including the calls, calls for feedback. I think this last one is also really important. Um, this idea of editorial governance and training, making sure that everyone you know, who's updating uh, content on the site or contributing content uh, knows you know, your accessibility standards and um, you know, what, what is appropriate content um, for the museum to be publishing. And so one example we have of that, I'm sure you've all heard of this and, and been working on image alt text. Take yes. it away. We're gonna do something kind of fun, or at least for me. Um, <laughs> if you, just to illustrate the importance of something as simple as alt text, um, I'd like to ask you all to close your eyes, and I'm gonna read the alt text of an object in our website, and then see if you can envision what the object is. And those of you who are not closing your eyes, fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys all ready? Okay. The alt text reads, chair. Okay, now you're envisioning what that means, what that could be. We're a museum of folk art, craft, and design, so it could be anything. All right, you want to see the chair? Is that what any of you pictured? No. Why? Because I probably didn't do a good job of, explain, of describing it to you, right? And, you know... That's what description for screen readers. And the caption of this could read, Chair, Naked is St. Paul, 2011. <laughs> Gift of the artist. Does that explain to you what that chair is? No. Um, so really just kind of being more descriptive can really help. So we're going to do this one more time with a different object. Oh. Do you want to read the alt text? I don't know how to pronounce this word. Alahibre. 
An alajibre is a brightly colored Mexican folk art sculpture, typically depicting a mythical creature. This alajibre has the body of a caterpillar, it's green with yellow spots, and is, its underbelly is pink with red veins spidering out. It has large human-like ears and antennae on top of its head. Its face has large expressive eyes with stripes on its face, and its mouth is open, exposing its sharp teeth. So you guys all have a picture? Ah, is it that? Yeah. Or close? <laughs> so we could have just said alajibre, which who knows how a screen reader is going to pronounce that word. But we can do such a good, jo a better job of describing what the, a person who doesn't, who can't see, what's in that image. Because if you're visually impaired in some way, this may be the only really effective way that you're going to know what's in artwork or what we exhibit or textures, colors, expressions, things like that. Now, not to say that every single object in our website has this kind of descriptive text. We are working on it. <laughs> but we, we know that in order to solve for accessibility, we don't need you know, some like super fancy fill in the blank. We just need a good writer. And luckily, we have one on staff. So um, this is something that we are really um, taking seriously and putting a lot of um, time and effort into. Go through some of this a little quickly, um, and we in, on the handout we talk about uh, what some of these terms mean: W3C, WCAG. Uh, these are like the standards bodies and recommendations for how to implement accessibility standards on your website. Accessi assistive technology is uh, the actual tools that you might use to to access the website that are a little different than maybe a desktop computer or even a phone. You're talking about screen readers, keyboard input, which is an important one. Um, even Braille readers. There are lots of different ways that someone could be accessing your website that's not going to be in a traditional sort of desktop computer mode. Um, so instead of going too deep into the technology, uh, we'll do a high-level view of this framework, which uh, is the acronym is POOR, which is perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust. So perceivable is simply uh, can every audience member access the same content? Um, so if you have a screen reader, you're still accessing uh, the same website with maybe a different way to, to visualize an image, but you're still getting a description of that image. That's one uh, example of perceivable. Also, two forms have labels so that someone with a screen reader can know what to put in each form field. Um, operable is really how does it function on these alternative de devices. Um, if you're using a keyboard input, can you tab through each item in the navigation and hit enter to get to the next page? Can you um, open and operate buttons with your with your voice control? Those are all things that, if you if you're not thoughtful about how you're implementing this technology, can easily not work correctly. Uh, understandable is really more of that contextual sense of are you using a lot of jargon or or acronyms that you're audience isn't going to understand. And I love the idea of using the word art instead of collections in the main navigation. How many more people are going to see that and know what that means and want to click on it and experience the museum in a different way than they would have before? And robust. Well, this is just talking about failing gracefully. Uh, sometimes maybe you're on an error page. Maybe you click something and it doesn't do what you expected it to do. Maybe your web connection is really slow. 
does the user still get something useful out of that interaction? Can they find what they need? Um, so failing gracefully is how I like to think about it. Um, these days, we have a lot of really great built-in tools with HTML. Uh, 10, 20 years ago when you were coding websites, you really had to know a lot about accessibility to do it right. Now it's so much easier if you're using the right tags, like an, a heading tags and navigation tags. Screen readers understand these tags intuitively and they know where to go on the page. So as long as you're using the most up-to-date and, and kind of intuitive standards, your site's going to be 100% more accessible. Uh, a very simple example of this is also uh, the skip, to skip content link, which not every website has, but every website should. It takes about five minutes to implement. It's just if you're using a, uh, either a screen reader or even a keyboard input, the first item that you, that you see on the web page or that you focus on on the web page is a link to skip all the navigation and all the extra stuff to get to the content. And we'll actually demonstrate that uh, in the voiceover, I think. Um, and I cannot stress um, hard enough third-party software. If you're using, let's say, WordPress and you're just installing plugins or a theme, uh, or even if you're, you know, a developer and you're using, uh, you know, JavaScript libraries, not everything is built with accessibility in mind, and you really need to vet those tools and test them and make sure that the people who created those tools are thinking about accessibility in the same way that you are. Uh, and I cannot stress enough testing with real accessive uh, assistive devices. And so, um, has anyone here ever used a, a voiceover or a, a, a screen reader of any kind? Um, that's good. I mean, that's, that's more than, than I was expecting, actually. Um, so we did a little um, screen reader test with uh, one of the story pages. The audio the we could, these microphones pick up a lot if you want to move it down. Our vault for audio is broken. Okay. Oops, so I, I'm sorry. We won't. We won't do that one. Um, but anyway, you know, testing with real assistive devices, real um, actual screen readers, and making sure that everything makes sense. Button labels, heading tags, um, are a really important part of the process. What did I just do here? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, I just ruined our slide. Can you click on the little green? The green that one. That's going to have to be good. Oh, enough. there we there go. go. Um, and finally, checking your work. Proofreading, having another set of eyes. In our case, we actually hired a third-party firm, a local um, d developer, to take a look at all of the code and tell us what we did right, tell us what we did wrong. And we learned a lot. Um, we found out that our first effort was very good, but there were definitely some things that could be better. And we went through and we actually implemented all those changes very recently. And we're really happy with the result of that, uh, that collaboration. Yeah, here I would just like to call back to our the work we did in our digital strategy here, where um, Airtable is where we, we keep a lot of information, do a lot of work, um, feeds directly into Craft. So like our staff list, if we update it, like this is now your email address, this is now your phone number, this person no longer works with us, this person just got hired. We only have to update that in one place. 
internally and it automatically pushes to our website our exhibition calendar um, or ex our list of exhibitions that um, our team works on um, that automatically pushes to our website same with our events so because we did the work of, of get, streamlining how we work together um, we were able to like add another kind of not like another um, piece of software in our tech stack to um, just kind of automate some of the things that I would be like, oh, I just hired someone and I forgot to put them on the website, but they're also responsible for media contacts, so I don't have to worry about that. It just automatically updates. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we're, we're just really excited that, you know, with all of the, the work that we're doing and continuing to do, you know, like we said, it's not a one and done thing. It's not something you achieve one day. It's something accessibility we're working on constantly to make sure the site is, um, you know, is updated and following best practices and standards. Um, this is a tool, is this Lighthouse? Lighthouse. Lighthouse um, that you can use, it's oh, sorry. Built into Google Chrome. So built into Google Chrome, right, that you can use. We have a 97 um, rating on, on the homepage, so we're kind of excited about that. We're gonna just continue, you know, working, working on page by page, making sure that uh, the site is uh, continually updated with the latest accessibility best practices in mind. Uh, so to wrap it up, and then we'll, we'd love to open it up for questions, um, but you know, again, what we're learning, practicing accessibility is a constant process. Um, you know, it's, it's a journey that we're excited to keep going on together and keep integrating it into how the museum updates the site and its content. Um, and you know, sometimes it's just about identifying one step that you can take and just keep building from there. Um, on the handout that we gave you, um, we included all of our, you know, um, all of the steps that we're taking, uh, that we took during the design process, um, but also that we're currently taking every day. Um, so we hope that it can also serve as a really helpful checklist when you um, go back to your, your organizations. Um, and accessibility is a values-led investment. Um, it's really an opportunity to reach a lot more people. Um, it can have really great um, SEO results as well, you know, updating alt text, cleaning up your data. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is something that's, that's super valuable. Um, and again, it can just be a guide for developing and maintaining assets and keeping up with clean data. Um, so it's really a win-win for everybody. It's not extra work. It's just um, working smarter, right? So smarter we're we're here. all we're all about it. So thank you. Thank you. Yay. Um, and I just want to reiterate how um, essential it is to have good partners. Again, Stacy and Dalton were partnered with the museum way before we even started any of this work and we aligned on our values. So um, yeah, any questions? Uh, time we, we when we take a um, when we're working with websites that haven't really put that much effort into accessibility usually the side effect of that is poor SEO so when you build a website and you put that at the forefront you know metadata alt text also things like heading tags are really good for SEO and they're also really good for screen readers um, making sure your site performs well just as fast and loads fast that's good for people with slow connections that's also a really good signal for Google that you're trying hard 
And so it, those signals help you rank organically. It's not something you have to pay somebody to do. It's not something, it's not spammy. It's a really natural way to show that you care about your content. I yeah, I think there was, it was about, um, I can't remember when we took this stat, but it was, we saw about so, an 85% uh, jump in yeah, so organic search traffic. We closed for renovation the day after Labor Day 2018, in the year of our Lord, um, and our website traffic dropped 85% just immediately next day. They're like, we'll see you when you're back. Um, and once we launched our website, I want to say the following October, or actually, no, was it October? May. May. You know, it's just a blur, guys. I can't even tell you. Sometime later, we launched this website. And, I mean, we've gotten back 80% of what we lost. So just that, that huge jump. And a lot of that is new traffic. A lot of that is people who... We have a lot of people that come over from Pinterest because apparently if you like to quilt, you're on Pinterest. Well, all of those links are broken. They've been broken for since I got here. And we don't have the resources to like invest in, in that platform right now. So just even putting up a helpful 404 page that's like, hi, were you looking for our collections link? Um, helps that, helped, you know, kind of maintain some of that traffic and get people engaged. So, so yes. Yes, 100%. Okay. So that's a good question. Um, I will say that we had a steep discount. Um, I would say that there are quite, it, I would say it's not as inaccessible as it, as it previously was. I think if you work at a museum, a lot of designers want to do something for a museum. I don't know why, but I'm just like, sure, fine, cool, yeah, come on in. Um, it was something we definitely had to get a grant for, um, but... I have to say is so worth the investment, especially if you are working with someone who's really like you have a brief, you have requirements, you're not just like allowing some typeface designer to be like, I have this typeface I really want to get birth to in the world. Yeah. Yes. Which, I mean, I think if you know agency work, we'll get way more out of that typeface than we will agency work. <laughs> yes. Sure, yes. Yeah. 
I think that's a, a really great question, sort of talking about process. How do you sort of translate uh, design for the developers and make sure all of those details are, are caught in the process? Um, so one of the we sort of we sort of like zoomed through that that part of going from like wireframes to all of a sudden we have a website. So <laughs> so there was sort of a mock-ups process, you know, in there where um, when once we took uh, the paper wireframes, um, we created mock-ups, and then we use a prototyping app called Envision um, to take the static mock-ups and then essentially create um, a clickable kind of prototype of what the website could look like. Um, within Envision, um, there are some tools where you can um, itemize and create notes that get sent to developers to indicate, you know, this is why this decision got made. Um, so you're kind of creating that, that the artifact of the notes uh, directly in context of the mockups. Um, so it just makes it really easy for, for our team um, to look at the designs and then um, read that layer of notes on top of it. Um, we also work... Um, you know, our design and development process is pretty fluid too. So um, a lot of the times we might, um, you know, indicate a, a certain design in a mock-up and then move into code and uh, correct it in the browser together. So there is a bit of that fluid process too where we're designing a little bit in the browser. Well, and I would also say like our design process, like Dalton's included in that. Dalton is our, like the kind of the developer mm -hmm. um, uh, lead. And I think, too, like, having, like, sort of developer empathy and just sort of, like, understanding, like, asking questions like, how hard is this to implement? How much time does this take to implement? Is there another way to achieve this? I think we, when we designed, we, we were cognizant of the implications on the development side. And I think mm -hmm. for something like getting Craft and Airtable to integrate, I really pushed hard for because I knew that it would pay off, at, like, you know, kind of afterwards. Um, but on other things, I was just kind of, kind of like, okay, we, there's a simpler way to get to this than other than what. Yeah. I think having a developer through the design process yeah. is super helpful, too. And I wouldn't show anything to anyone without running it by Dalton and the development team to make sure that what we were creating was, you know, in fact, going to be buildable <laughs> and not just look good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Totally. Well, right. Yeah. I think the designer needs some constraints. Like, they need to, like, we have that creative brief that have those sort of, like, that checklist of what a good design that's on brand requires. So I think it would like, again, that shared value, like we know we're solving for not only a beautiful website, but accessibility, it needs to be useful. That was like, you know, kind of 1A, 1B, beautiful, useful together. It's
cri that criteria to having that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Your question and then in the back and then you, so do do do, yeah. Well, I think at, at this point, AA is the, is the minimum standard that you need to look to achieve. And there are lots of different, I personally, I've read through the, the WCAG website dozens of times and I, there's still things I don't know 100% how to implement. And that's where relying on other people's interpretations who have done it well in the past is really helpful. So, um, you know, there are, there are some accessibility consultants who've put out eBooks that are, that turn, that sort of technical language into something that's more understandable um, that we can all then sort of use as an assessment tool. Um, and then just having a checklist, a worksheet to check against mm -hmm. yeah, and, and using good, good audit tools. Um, Google Lighthouse is great. It's, um, there are lots of tools out there. Some of them are more user friendly than others. Um, there's something called Andy, which I actually just discovered recently, but it's, a, it's an open source tool. It's published by the United States federal governments, surprisingly. Uh, it's very easy to use and it's very informative. In terms Andy, A-N-D-I, that one's on the worksheet actually. Um, because it's, it's just a browser bookmarklet that works in any browser and you just run it on any site and it'll tell you contrast ratios, it'll tell you uh, missing alt text. It's, it's really thorough and, but just also easy to use. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great tool. Yes. Yeah, um, I think, so just utilizing all of my team. So again, we have a part-time photographer, a full-time content producer, and a part-time graphic designer. And sort of any time that they're um, contributing assets that touch the web, they, I, you know, they have a list of things that they need to do. Also, to go along with how Airtable plugs into Craft, if you want to publish a web, uh, an event to our website, you have to include an image, and that image needs alt text. And everybody knows my expectations for alt text. So, um, you know, that's been just the easiest way to kind of inform people, take the time to train them appropriately, bring them along. But also, we have firm constraints. Unless you do this, this doesn't happen. So um, that has really helped. But also just, you know, when we did the accessibility audit, a lot of the things that came back as, as problematic were things that I realized I hadn't trained my staff on yet. We had a full turnover in our team. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I didn't tell them about that yet so you know a lot of that is just sort of kind of keeping the pace and keeping your team educated and letting them know why it's important and um, you know it's it's one of those things that it takes time and effort but it's not inachievable The ones that are on that list are all built into the operating system. So there's a Windows one, uh, an Android one, and a Mac slash iPhone one. Those are all free. Those are built in. Those aren't the ones that everybody uses, but they're the ones that probably are the most accessible as end users for us. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're less, I would say a little less specialized. So if you, you know someone who 
has a true vision disability and relies on the software every day may have a preference for something that's a little more custom. Some of them are actually very expensive, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, mm -hmm. so that, that's why we start yeah. with the tools that are most accessible yeah. to everyone because we know a lot of people are going to be using them. You can also work with the communities that assist um, people with disabilities. Like we, were, uh, one of our next steps is to reach out to um, San Diego Center for the Blind, San Diego Center for the, the Braille Institute. Yeah, well. to have you know have them kind of do a stress test on the site and see you know how it's measuring up with that community. Triple IF works a little differently because it loads tiles rather than a whole image at once. So you, okay. when you zoom in, you're actually loading higher, v higher resolution versions at each, at each load, right? Like you're, as you zoom in, you're you're getting a smaller p piece of the picture, but that piece is a higher quality. Um, versus the way that we do images on the Mingay site, because this is not for the collection. We're talking mostly about more of the, the marketing, marketing and, and public facing ver part of the website. Is, is called responsive images. And so responsive images are, um, they, you define several different sources um, at different sizes and sometimes at different aspect ratios depending on, so if we know this person's on a, on a mobile device, it's probably rectangular and tall. So the aspect ratio is gonna be different. The pixel size is gonna be smaller because it's a smaller screen. Um, and you have a, you know, you can be as flexible as you want. We usually do three to five different image sizes per asset. So the browser de then determines based on the network speed and the, de the dimensions of the, the window which asset is going to be the best to pick. And that's automatic in the CMS. It's 100% yeah, it's it's yeah. automatic. Images. You upload one, one image, image yeah. and you can choose. Uh, um, yeah, it's one image and then, the, and then the CMS resizes it depending on the size of the browser. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's still one image. It's, it's still, still a single image. image. Yeah. yeah. No. You, on the, Sorry. On the, <laughs> yeah, so on the, 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 the editor side you're adding one image and then the template makes all these decisions about um, and then the other thing that you can do that's really cool in craft in particular is you can set a focal point for the image so mm -hmm. as your window gets smaller instead of just cropping the center which is often not what you want you yeah. can say this person over here on the right is the focal point of the image so if you've got a widescreen you get the whole thing if you've got a narrow screen you only get that person's face you know you it's a yeah. right exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a great feature. I love craft. I won't lie. It's amazing. Yeah. You guys should check it out. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. <laughs> it's actually um, that uh, I was just going through trying to find the craziest chair. So that is actually on our collection, our online collection database, which I will get to in like... <laughs> It's on my list. Um, but all of the um, images on our website, like we have sort of curated, um, like kind of uh, mini collections, and all those have very descriptive alt text. Thanks to our content producer, Ashley. Yes. So. Um, in terms of like assets and images and things like that, so the CMS has its own repository for that. Um, so what happens is, is we attach an image in Airtable. Let's say I have an event, uh, a teacher's event. So I put a picture of teachers um, getting down at our museum. And then that then kind of 
goes um, automatically links in our CMS. So it, it takes that asset and then it does the three to five versions of it and all of that good information. But if we want to switch out that image, all we have to do is switch it out in Airtable and then it re-uploads. So this uh, Google Drive. Google Drive is where all of our marketing, uh, all, all of our images live. Yeah, Google Drive is, sorry? 26,000 objects. Yep. Well, yeah. Oh, oh. Um, okay, so the authoritative sort of um, image of record is in Google Drive. That then also lives in um, our collections database. Um, and then that has a website facing interface so that you can see that image there as well. They're not really tightly integrated yet. We're, that is on, on our. It's on the list. Yeah. We got to get the, the it, like I said, accessibility is, is decision to decision. It's step by step. It's a journey. It's not a destination. There's a lot of things on my list <laughs> to get to for sure. Any other questions? I thought I saw one more. No, no. Thank you guys for staying. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.